0: Chapter 4 of The Cruise of the Alert in Search of Treasure by E. F. Knight. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4 A Romance of the Salvages. The article in the St. James Gazette attracted a considerable amount of attention, as was proved by the bewildering mass of correspondence with reference to the expedition which I received during the weeks preceding our departure many of these letters were prompted evidently by mere curiosity others contained suggestions of which some were sensible enough a few whimsical in the extreme cranks wrote to me who professed to be acquainted with certain methods for discovering treasure by means of divining rods or charms or other uncanny tricks others had dreamt dreams in which they had seen the exact position of the wealth but most curious of all were the letters from individuals in all parts of europe and america who were acquainted with the existence of other treasures which they proposed i should search for in the course of my voyage to have sought them all would have meant to sail every navigable sea on the face of the earth and to have travelled into the heart of continents in short to have undertaken a voyage which would have extended over a century or so To have found them all would have necessitated my chartering all the merchant fleets of Europe to carry them home, and then gold would have become a valueless drug on the markets, and my labors would all have been in vain. One individual modestly asked for one thousand pounds down before he would give the slightest hint as to the nature of his treasure or its locality. But, according to him, there could not be the slightest doubt as to my finding it, and as one item alone of this pile consisted of ten million pounds worth of golden bars it would be the height of folly on my part not to send him a check for the comparatively ridiculous sum of one thousand pounds in return for such information some of these treasure tales were very terrible and the most bloodthirsty villains figured in the ghastly narratives among my correspondents i have materials that would supply all our writers of boys stories for years but in addition to the numerous impossible tales there were some well authenticated and people who had taken an interest in these matters and had carefully collected their data wrote to me concerning several promising schemes a few days before sailing a retired naval officer residing in exeter came to see me at southampton he told me he had guessed that our destination was the islet of trinidad and that he was acquainted with the record of another treasure which had been concealed on a desert island lying on our route, distant about 1,400 miles from Southampton and 3,400 from Trinidad. He thought it would be worth our while to make a call there and endeavor to identify the spot. An outline of this story is given in the North Atlantic Directory, but the following account was copied by my informant from the government documents relating to the matter. Early in 1813, the then secretary of the admiralty wrote to Sir Richard Bickerton, the commander-in-chief at Portsmouth, instructing him to let a seaman who had given information respecting a hidden treasure be sent in the first king's ship likely to touch at Madeira, so that the truth of his story might be put to the test. The Prometheus, Captain Hercules Robinson, was then refitting at Portsmouth and to this officer was entrusted the carrying out of the admiralty orders in his report captain robinson states that after being introduced to the foreign seaman referred to in the above letter and reading the notes which had been taken of his information he charged him to tell no person what he knew or what was his business and that he was to mess with the captain's coxswain and that no duty would be required of him to this the man replied that that was all he desired that he was willing to give his time and would ask no remuneration if nothing resulted from his intelligence a few days afterwards the ship sailed and in a week anchored at funchal madeira during the passage captain robinson took occasion to examine and cross-question the man whose name was christian cruz and compare his verbal with his written testimony the substance of both was that some years before he was sent to the hospital in santa cruz with yellow fever with a spanish sailor who had served for three or four voyages in the danish merchant ship in which cruz was employed he was in a raging fever but notwithstanding recovered the spaniard though less violently ill sank under a gradual decay in which medical aid was unavailing and a few days before his death told crews he had something to disclose which troubled him and accordingly made the following statement he said that in 1804 he was returning in a spanish ship from south america to cadiz with a cargo of produce and about two million dollars in chests that when within a few days sail of cadiz they boarded a neutral who told them that their four galleons had been taken by a squadron of english frigates war having been declared and that a cordon of cruisers from trafalgar to cape finisterre would make it impossible for any vessel to reach cadiz or any other spanish port what was to be done returning to south america was out of the question and the captain resolved to try back for the west indies run for the north part of the spanish main or some neutral island and have a chance thus of saving at least the treasure with which he was entrusted The crew who preferred the attempt of making cadiz were all but in a state of mutiny but they acquiesced in the proceeding and keeping out of the probable track of cruisers reached a few degrees to the southward of madeira where they hoped to meet the trade winds they had familiarized their minds to plans of resistance and outrage but had not the heart to carry them into effect till one daybreak they found themselves off a cluster of small uninhabited islands fifty leagues to the southward of madeira nearly in its longitude the name of which the narrator did not know the central island about three miles around was high flat and green at the top but clearly uninhabited the temptation was irresistible here was a place where everything might be hidden why run risks to avoid the english in order to benefit their captain and the owners, why not serve themselves? The captain was accordingly knocked on the head or stabbed and carried below, and the ship hauled into what appeared the anchorage on the south side of the island. There they found a snug little bay in which they brought up, landed the chests of dollars, and cut a deep trench in the white sand above the high water mark, and buried the treasure and covered it over, and some feet above the chests deposited in a box the body of their murdered captain they then put to sea resolving to keep well to the southward and try to make the spanish main or a neutral island run the ship on shore and set her on fire agree on some plausible lie and with a portion of the money which they retained and carried on their persons they were to purchase a small vessel and under english or other safe colors to revisit their hoard and carry it off at once or in portions in time they passed tobago and in their clumsy ignorant navigation while it was blowing hard ran on an uninhabited quay on which the ship went to pieces and only two lives were saved these got to santa cruz or saint thomas one died and the other was the seaman who made the statement to christian cruz the name of the ship the owners the port she sailed from the exact date or various other particulars by which the truth might be discovered were not told to christian cruz or not remembered captain robinson gave at length and in a quaint old-fashioned way his impressions as to the bona fides of cruz he says may he not have had some interested object in fabricating this story why did he not tell it before is not the cold-blooded murder inconceivable barbarity and burying the body over the treasure too dramatic and buccaneer-like Or might not the spaniard have lied from love of lying and mystifying his simple shipmate or might he not have been raving captain robinson then thus satisfactorily replies to his own queries as to the first difficulty i had the strongest conviction of the honesty of christian cruz and i think i could hardly be grossly deceived as to his character and his disclaiming any reward unless the discovery was made went to confirm my belief that he was an honest man and then as to his withholding his information for four or five years be it remembered that the war with denmark might truly have shut him out of any possibility of intercourse with england next as to the wantonness and indifference with which the murder was perpetrated i am afraid there is no great improbability in this with self-interest in the scales humanity is but as dust in the balance i have witnessed a disregard of human life in matters of promotion in our service etc even among men of gentle blood which makes the conduct of these spaniards under vehement temptation and when they could do as they please sufficiently intelligible but certainly the coffin over the treasure looked somewhat theatrical had given it the air of saddler's wells or a novel rather than matter of fact i inquired therefore from christian why the body was thus buried and he replied that he understood the object was that in case any person should find the marks of their proceeding and dig to discover what they had been about they might come to the body and go no further then as to the supposition of the spaniard lying from mere mecancete this concept would be utterly out of keeping in an ignorant spanish seaman but lastly he might have been raving and on this point i was particular in my inquiries cruz said certainly not he was quite clear in his mind his conscience might be troubled but his head was not disturbed and it is conceivable enough that this dying criminal might have been able to bring into such correct review as he was stated to have done these portions of his dark history the result of my inquiries and cogitations on the subject was that the probability was strongly in favor of the substantial truth of this romance of real life and i considered would be still further substantiated if the locus and quo the salvages for to them alone the latitude and longitude pointed corresponded with the account given of the tomb of the dollars captain robinson goes on to state that he inquired at madeira whether anything had ever been picked up at the salvages and was informed that some years before the taffrail of a foreign ship had been found there and two boxes of dollars being unable to obtain any precise information he then proceeded for the islands on arriving off the great salvage they found that it was about a league in circumference flat at the top and green with salsola or saltwort and other alkalescent plants and on hauling round the east point opened up a sandy bay with a white beach and a little level spot above high-water mark just as they wanted to find it captain robinson asked christian will this do and the man replied no doubt sir it must be the place the captain then sent for the officers and pledging them to secrecy that others might not interfere with them told them all the story but desired them to announce only half the truth to the men namely that they were in search of a murdered man who was supposed to be buried somewhere above high-water mark fifty or sixty of the ship's crew were then landed provided with all the shovels there were on board and boarding pikes and to encourage them they were told that the discoverer of the coffin should have a reward of one hundred dollars their embarrassment however was now extreme the white sand extended round the bay and a large area intervened between the high water and the foot of the cliff which a month would not turn up they selected the center of the beach and went beyond the high water mark to where captain robinson thought the breaking of the sea and the drainage through the sand might terminate and where a man would be likely to drop his burden and then they dug a deep hole but with no greater success than finding some broken shells and rounded pebbles the men in the meanwhile were probing with their boarding pikes in all directions and digging in every promising spot this went on for several hours and finally the captain abandoned the search and ordered the boats on board and as night was approaching and the ship's situation unsafe hoisted them in weighed and stood out of the bay and shaped course for madeira on arriving at funchal they found other orders and occupation and had no opportunity of revisiting the spot before their return to england nor did the admiralty of the day on receiving captain robinson's report think it worth while to prosecute the matter further in conclusion captain robinson remarks that in favour of the affirmative view there is the apparent honesty fairness candour and clear-headedness of christian crews as well as the entire correspondence of the place with that described and opposed to this are the many motives to falsehood deceit and self-interest in some obscure shape or even mere love of lying or it may be the ravings of lunacy and the wonderful plausibility of perverted reason if i am asked for my own opinion i would say that my judgment leans as i have already declared to the probability of some transaction having taken place so much so that i certainly think it worth the while of any yachtsman to try what this might turn up my informant from exeter told me that he had sailed by these islands close in shore while he was serving in the navy and he gave me an account of their appearance he said he had perceived men on the great salvage and understood that the portuguese or other fishermen visit the island at one season of the year in order to catch and salt down the fish that abound in the surrounding sea he did not consider that there was ever a large body of these men on the island so that in the event of our digging there and discovering the treasure our party would be strong enough well armed as we were to protect and carry it off in spite of any opposition that might be offered as my informant pointed out one curious feature in this vague and not very encouraging tale of hidden treasure was that the foreign seaman? according to the report stated that the chests of dollars were landed on the middle island whereas captain robinson prosecuted his search on the great salvage or northernmost island the salvages consist of three islands of which the middle one known as the great piton is the largest and if the man's tale be true it is on this island that the treasure should be sought it would not be worth while to fit out an expedition to the salvages on such evidence as this but argued my informant as you must pass near the group with your vessel it would not delay you so much to discover whether any bay answering to the man's description exists on the south side of the great piton i told this gentleman that i would put the matter before my companions and that in case they agreed to this deviation from our original scheme we would if possible land on the great piton and explore the likely portions of the sands for the chests of dollars seeing that the salvages adjacent as they are to both madeira and the canaries might belong to either spain or portugal though i could find no record of such being a case i thought it prudent to keep this portion of our program a secret for the publication of our intentions in the papers might attract the attention of those who laid claim to the islets and caused them to interfere with our operations consequently when we sailed only three men knew whither we were bound and i said nothing about the salvages until we had been two days at sea when i repeated the whole story to my companions after dinner they were unanimously of opinion that we should visit the island and see what could be done there our course was accordingly shaped for it we talked over the possibility of our finding foreign fishermen on the salvages and some of my companions proposed that in this case we should take charge of their boats for them during our stay so that they would have no means of communicating with their countries and giving notice of our arrival having thus as it were taken temporary possession of the island we were to compel the fishermen to dig for us at a reasonable rate of pay a somewhat high-handed proceeding but the suggestion at any rate showed that there were those among my crew who would not be deterred by small difficulties when impelled by the prospect of discovering gold i was unable to take a bill of help for our first port of call as i did not myself know what it would be our stoppages on the way out entirely depending on our necessities such as want of water or repairs of any damage to the vessel if it had been possible to have done so i would have called it no inhabited place until the termination of the expedition but i was well aware that the lack of something or other would sooner or later drive us into port i accordingly procured a bill of help for sydney not that i had the slightest intention of going there but i knew that this document would satisfy the authorities of any place at which i was likely to call for stores Every harbor on either side of the Atlantic can be considered as being more or less on the way to Australia, and on entering a port, a visae of our bill of health would be all that was necessary, for there is no law against zigzagging across the world to one's destination in a leisurely fashion, if one chooses to do so. End of chapter 4